Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here it is, your Monday, May 17th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. We are back! Oh, two days without the podcast, and I felt like it was an eternity. We have been doing daily episodes ever since training camp began in, began in early January and to not have two episodes over the weekend. I got to say, it was weird. My wife was like, you got to stop talking about hockey because I just kept talking about it because this is my outlet. I couldn't kind of uh, have my therapy with all of you guys. And this is a therapeutic episode. Um, very interesting episode. We're going to do Twitter questions today. And I, I got some really good ones that came in, so I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, the playoffs so far have been absolutely incredible, by the way. I wish the Flyers were in it so bad. Playoff hockey is so great. The first three games, as of taping, that's all that's uh, kind of come, to, come to conclusion so far. And all three go to overtime. I, I mean, come on. You can't write this. It, all playoffs in sports are good. But the playoffs, and most importantly, the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs— is the best in sport. Period. End of sentence. And I'm not. I'll die on that hill. There's no way I'm changing my mind. It's so incredible. So it's been a lot of fun to watch. But uh, that being said, first I will. Before we get to Twitter questions, I want to get to this article that Pierre LeBrun from the Athletic wrote, uh, and he had an interview with Chuck Fletcher, Flyers general manager. And I think there's some really interesting things in here that I want to comment on. If you didn't see it or you're not a member of the Athletic, they do a great job covering. Uh, the NHL, Charlie O'Connor in Philadelphia does a great job as well. Uh, but th- this article is interesting. P- now, let me just say that Pierre Lebrun, when he puts something out in a piece, um, it's usually got some background on it. He's not a guy that's going to just speculate. He's heard things, and when he puts something into an article, and it seems an innocuous throw-in, but uh, there's something behind it. He's heard it. It's not just throwing you know, things out there just for the sake of throwing things out there. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting, and a couple of the answers from Chuck Fletcher I thought were uh, worth uh, bringing up here on the podcast. And the first question that Pierre asked Chuck Fletcher said, how would you describe the 2021 season uh, for flyer season in one word? And Chuck said, I'll use two words, poor defensively. And that is the case. The Flyers were 31st in the NHL in goals against. Uh, it was it was obvious to see. We all know what the problem was. D-zone coverage wasn't nearly good enough. Uh, young players and uh, players that uh, had good trajectory to their development, either, as Chuck said, plateaued or regressed, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and he also said regarding the loss of Matt Niskanen, um, you know, losing Matt Niskanen was a, was a big element of this. Maybe it was the one card you pull in the house of cards that collapsed the house. You never know which card you pull out is going to collapse the house of cards until it collapses. Was it Matt Niskanen? Maybe to some extent. Uh, but the way Chuck Fletcher described uh, the loss of Matt Niskanen and how he filled that, uh, he said, quote, I did a poor job filling that void. He said, it wasn't for a lack of trying, but we didn't do what we needed to do, and that falls on me. Now, I love that because that's a guy taking accountability. You know, Eric Gustafson wasn't a guy coming in here to fill the void of Matt Niskanen. And I know that the Flyers were active on the phones and trying to get stuff done, but it was a very difficult offseason to make those kind of moves. I mean, we saw the lack of movement in the offseason last year. We saw it to an extent at the trade deadline this year. Well, here's where the pent-up demand finally starts to kind of explode and we get a market again because you have an expansion draft. You still have a flat cap. 
you have a 30-second team coming in the league, a new TV deal, so you have some cost certainty going forward. Uh, this is where this summer is going to be a very active one around the NHL. And, you know, Chuck Fletcher's a guy that's got a lot of tools at his disposal. He's got his draft picks. He's got a lot of young prospects that are well thought of. Despite what we may think or what we saw this year, some of these players, young players that are in the NHL or on their way to the NHL, are very well thought of around the league and have really good value. And prospects and young players with good upside have a lot of value right now because they're cost-effective on entry-level contracts. They're not going to make huge money. So that, that's another element that makes them even more valuable. Now, Chuck Fletcher also said we have to look at our group internally uh, first at our players and try to determine the players that we feel are a part of the solution going forward and look at the areas we need to improve. You won't be able to fill every hole you have in a salary cap system, uh, particularly in a flat cap. So we're going to have to prioritize and try and improve where we can. Now, look, there is a lot of boxes. We've talked about the areas where they need to improve. Um, and even though you can't accomplish all of it, when you see three boxes that need to be checked, for instance, a top pair right shot, right D, to play 24-plus minutes a night with Ivan Provorov, another one of your boxes that you need to add is a, a big physical presence or and a guy that can help improve your power play and penalty kill. That's three and four boxes right there. But one addition, one player, can check all four of those boxes for you. Like, how can that happen? Real simple. If you sign a guy like Dougie Hamilton, uh, you trade for a Josh Manson, a big 6'3", 225-pound guy. You trade for a Seth Jones. And you get that size. You get that skill. You get that player that can play top minutes right side that's a right shot. It, it's you, you just checked four of your biggest holes with the addition of one player. Now, who, which one of those players makes sense, right? That's the question. Well, if you want to look at cost for acquisition, Dougie Hamilton is a free agent. Will he be a free agent come uh, when the market opens? We'll see. We'll see if Carolina re-signs him. But if he makes it to free agency, you're not there is no cost per acquisition other than what you're paying him. You're not paying... Uh, sending players to Carolina to sign him in free agency. What you're going to do is just sign him in free agency. You're not going to lose anything, which then allows you to use your assets to check another box and make another deal, whether that's with Seattle or some other team. You can go into free agency if you're able to shed salary by adding younger prospect low-cost players to get a team to take on salary. So now you open up salary and you can get involved, maybe go out, and you like a guy like Kyle Palmieri in the offseason as a free agent. Maybe that's a guy that's appealing as a veteran bottom six type player for you on a good team. Or maybe you want to get involved you know, with some of the other free agents that are out there. Maybe Ryan Nugent Hopkins, 28-year-old, right? Or maybe you want to take a look at really go bonkers and grab a guy like Gabriel Landeskog if he makes it. I don't think he's going to free agency, but... Yeah, there's there's going to be players out there and available. You need a scorer. I, I've been real careful to say not a sniper, a scorer. Mike Hoffman signed that one-year deal for $3 million. He'll be available. So there's a lot of avenues to look here and a lot of things you can accomplish with not a tremendous amount of moves and, and acquisitions. Sometimes just the right acquisition checks many of those boxes. Now, one of the things when I talk about Pierre Lebrun throwing things out there, 
uh, a couple of the names that he mentioned for acquisitions. Uh, one of them, Jack Eichel from the Buffalo Sabres. So it looks like he may have this surgery to replace a disc in his cervical spine. He and I think the, the Sabres are fighting over the procedure right now because there's not a lot of history with it. Uh, but it's a little bit of a red flag. He is only 25 years old. He is under contract. He will cost you a lot. Uh, he mentioned Pierre Lebrun mentioned that in the article. He said he could also see the Flyers reaching back out to Nashville and either looking into either Matthias Ekholm, who's actually a left shot, or Ryan Ellis, who's a right shot. Or and he says, and certainly if for whatever reason the Blue Jackets aren't able to extend Seth Jones, you can bet the Flyers will be all over that situation. Now, when you hear Pierre Lebrun said you can bet the Flyers will be all over that situation, that's not just a throw-in. He knows something. I talked about Seth Jones two, eight, ten weeks ago. I had been hearing some things about that. And guys have been vacating Columbus forever now. John Tortorella is gone. Still, it's not about that. They love Tortorella. The organization just hasn't been able to retain players. And they'll have to find out really soon, like before the cup gets handed out, what Seth Jones is plans are if he plans on resigning because if he doesn't they'll trade him before this offseason's over and the Flyers would have to be all in on a situation like that now that's a cost per acquisition Seth Jones you're gonna have to give up a lot you're gonna have to give up prospects you're gonna have to give up a young player you're gonna have to give up picks and you have to extend them so there's a lot there is he worth it oh hell yeah he's tremendous he's a great player so I think the Flyers not based on just this article but based on the needs, the situation that they're in, what they have to be able to use as currency are going to be in the mix for any and all of these players. The question is, what do you got to do to get them here? And that's going to be incumbent upon Chuck Fletcher. So I wanted to touch on that first. Let's get to Twitter questions, and let's start with BCBJR. He says, if and only if, as fans, we allow the front offices, coaches, and players to use COVID as an excuse for a poor year, what did other teams do differently to avoid the same issues what changes will the flyers make assuming there may still be some restrictions before next season well i don't think there's a lot of talk about there there being restrictions before next season they actually already changed the nhl protocols for vaccinated players and loosened them so they can have a lot more freedom even while they're playing here in the playoffs so i don't think there's going to be those restrictions next year we'll see what the situation is with the canadian border perhaps uh you know it it the Canadian teams only play each other to start the year? I'm not sure. But I don't think there's going to be those kind of restrictions. There's going to be the rhythm of a normal offseason. So let's take that part of your question off the table. Let's get to the other part, which I think is the meat of the question. He said, what did other teams do differently to avoid the same issues? Well, every team was in a different situation. Some teams, a lot of teams, had COVID outbreaks to varying degrees. And it's not just that you have a COVID outbreak and you're paused for anywhere between four days and three plus weeks it was for Vancouver. It's who got infected. Were they symptomatic? How did it affect them? Were they ill? Look at a team like the Buffalo Sabres. And I'm not suggesting Buffalo, had they not had a COVID outbreak, would have been a team that made the playoffs. But I guarantee they wouldn't have been the team they ended up being. But Rasmus Ristolainen, their defenseman, said that when he had it, and he had the Brazilian variant, apparently, that when he went to bed at night, he wasn't sure if he was going to wake up. He couldn't walk up a flight of stairs. That's how sick he was. So, I, look, I don't know what other teams did. Some teams skated through it fine. Maybe their guys were asymptomatic. I'm not sure. 
we don't get a lot of information on this BCB. It's there's a lot of things that were really guarded in this in this situation. But I do know some of the teams that had significant and, and important players that were infected didn't bounce back from it. So is that an excuse? You can look at it as an excuse. I don't look at it as an excuse. It's a reality. It's part of the equation, but it doesn't take you off the hook. Even before their pause, the way they started the season, despite the fact that they went 11-4-3 through the end of February, doesn't, they didn't play well. So I don't care what the, I don't give a damn what the record was. They weren't playing well. And that had nothing, nothing to do with COVID at that point, or at least the team contracting it. Now the preparation and the, the 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 protocols that they had to follow and young players, it, it was really tough on young players, I'm told. So I, I'm not sure of the effect. Some teams handled it better than others. Flyers didn't handle it well. We all agree on that. Uh, David Wagner tweets in. He says, will Voracek be moved either in the expansion draft or via trade? And do you think Gostaspare is back or dealt this offseason? I think Shane is probably part of a, um, part of a trade uh, of some sort. Probably where maybe you acquire a defenseman. A lot of times, if a team is losing a defenseman, they'd like to acquire the position back to not leave the hole. So I think Shane could be part of a deal. Maybe that's a deal with Columbus, a Seth Jones-type deal. Um, so I, I don't think that Shane will be back. I think him going through waivers is pretty indicative of that. As far as Voracek being moved either in the expansion draft or via trade, I think it's very possible that he's taken in the expansion draft. I think it's very possible the Flyers could add a sweetener to have them take him. Um, so I think that is in the cards. I, I think that he could be traded as well. That doesn't have to do with the expansion draft. I think they're going to shed salary to open up the availability to add to this mix in a different way. I think there's going to be some really significant core change. Jake Voracek could be a part of that. I think James Van Riemsdyk could be a part of that. Shane Gossespierre, another guy that could be a part of that. So you're talking about some pretty significant change. You know, three guys, not all, you know, to varying degrees making money. Jake's over eight. AAV, um, James Van Riemsdyk's over is seven, and Shane Gosper's four and a half. So, to varying degrees from a cap standpoint, but uh, I do think that there's there's a potential that all three of those guys could not be here when they open training camp and sometime in September. So we'll see. You know, the interesting thing about Jake too is he's been playing in the NHL for 13 years, and if he is a Flyer this year, he's going to reach a thousand games. He's played 968 games. 968 games. He's got 215 goals and 522 assists for 738 points. It's just weird because the perception of of Jake Voracek, you would never think that if, if I was just plopped here from Mars, I said, tell me about Jake Voracek to the fan base, and they answered the question. I, I would think that of the 968 games, he'd have about 380 points based on what people would tell me about him. I would never think that he was a guy that has 738 points. 738. Now, Claude Giroux, he's played a ton of his career with Jake Voracek, and we'll see if that that continues going forward as well. Giroux's played 943 games, so you could have two players reaching 1,000 games in the same season. Giroux's got 273 goals, 585 assists, and 858 points. 858. So when you combine those two players' career together, they've played collectively, both of them combined, 1,911 games. They have 488 combined goals, 1,107 assists, and 1,596 points. That's incredible. That's that's pretty nuts. Uh, Dan Knightley tweets in. Dan's a north of the border guy. 
He says, if Chuck Fletcher has been trying to make changes for a year now with no success, what makes this summer so different? Well, I think the big thing that's different, Dan, is real simple. There's going to be way more dealing around the league. The pent-up demand for deals is it, it's there, It's then that's very real. A lot of teams have wanted to make deals but couldn't make deals. And now when this bubble bursts, there's going to be a ton of deals. I think there's just going to be a lot of movement this offseason, so I think there's going to be more opportunity. Uh, GMs didn't really know how to handle a flat cap with an expansion draft looming. That's a tough situation. Like, that's nothing just to sneeze at. Uh, Jay O'Brien tweets in, he says, what makes for a good power play other than shooting the damn puck? Well, it's not just about shooting the puck. Oftentimes, it's very little about shooting the puck. That's just the last element of the pa- of scoring on the power play. It's an important one, of course. But it's not about shooting the puck. It's about shooting the puck in a situation that's a high-danger opportunity because you have an advantage in manpower. So you have to be able to move the puck strategically. You have to get those. We saw it, the James Van Riemsdyk. I think it was the last game of the year against the Devils. It was Giroux from the left uh, circle, the dot, cross ice to Couturier for the fake shot to the middle to James Van Riemsdyk redirect home. Was James, was that a great shot? Was that a, a good shooting of the puck? No. It was a great play. It was great puck movement. And every time that puck crosses that, that middle line from the middle of the net out to the blue line, the slot line, it makes the chances of it going in go way up. So you have to be able to move the puck. And it's not about just getting the puck, getting in the zone, and bombing it. No, that's stupid. You have to, it's about possession, patience, puck movement, and getting the shot off at the right time when it's a high danger chance and it has a high probability of going in. Chris tweets in, he says, how does a healthy Frost affect the Nolan Patrick situation? Have to think if Frost doesn't get hurt, Patrick would have been scratched a lot. Do the Flyers have enough leverage to get a two-way contract out of Patrick? And also, does Patrick's change in representation affect his relationship with the organization? He is now on his third agent. Um, as far, Let's start with the Frost thing. Yeah, Frost would have affected the situation, and that perhaps would have been the case. And certainly at, at some point, Morgan Frost would have played a lot because um, they had a lot of injuries. They had guys dealing with COVID, and he could have he could have been your third-line center. I think we're going to see Frost next year. He was really bummed. I don't know if you heard him, Chris, when he was on a couple weeks ago. If not, go back in your uh, iTunes queue and find that episode. He just hasn't played a lot of hockey in the last calendar year. He's played basically two games, not even two full games, since last March of 2020. He got hurt in the second game this year, like in his second shift. So Frost is going to be a a factor. He's also an asset that they could use uh, in some kind of deal. as far as do the Flyers have enough leverage to get a two-way contract out of Patrick, I don't think so. I don't think they're going to sign him to a two-way. And uh, his change in representation, he's now on his third agent, and he's only played three three seasons but been a pro for four years. So I'm not sure about that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that, that gets moved, but I think we have to see how he comes to camp and what he looks like, and then they'll make that determination. Big Chief tweets in and says, what type of moves do you see the team making? Um, real quick, this is easy. I think they're going to get a, a legit top pairing, right side, right shot defenseman, either in free agency or via trade. And I think that they're going to add a bottom six forward that's a banger. And I think they're going to add a shooter. And I think they're going to lose probably at least one, maybe two players in their top six. Depends how you can. Two, two forwards in their top nine, put it that way. 
and I think they're going to lose two or three of their defensemen that were on the team this year. I think you're going to see a far different team. I really do. Uh, Rick Hines tweets in and says, what sniper and D-man do you think Chuck should focus on? Uh, Rick, I don't want a sniper. I want a, I want a guy that can score. I don't want a sniper. Sniper is Patrick Line. Patrick Line is a mutt. Patrick, I don't know if you saw what Patrick Line just said about playing in the Worlds. All right, here's what he said. Patrick Line. He said, you won't see me in the Worlds because of this season. I can't even. I can't stand even a game of hockey. It was an absolute miserable experience team-wise and personally. Only good thing is that the season is over. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. I don't find that he said that or he thinks that. You can't say that publicly. Like, what are you thinking? Flyer fans, he's one of those guys that looks great from afar, but when you see him up close, he will drive you crazy. Because if you've got a problem and you think that effort's not there and guy's caring, then that's not the guy you want. So I don't want a sniper. Uh, to answer your question, Rick, I want a guy that is a shooter. And the D-man I already talked about. I talked about the guys I think that they'll be in on. Benjamin Maluski says, we've heard the Flyers brass talk so much about lefty, righty, D pairs. Do you think given the need this offseason and given what options are available, Flyers will have to go against this to find Proveroff a partner for top pair? Maybe. I, I think there's not going to be enough guys out there that are going to be right shot. But if like if you make a trade for Matias Ekholm as a left shot and you want to play him on your right side on your top pairing, then yeah. I, I don't think it's a deal breaker. I just don't think it's a preference. Well, I know it's not a preference. Bob Haynes Jr. tweets in. Now, this is a great question. Um, Bob says, did the four-check system change prior to the bubble? This is kind of like a weirdly timed question, but it's not. And the reason why I don't think it's a weirdly timed question is they went into the bubble last year, and the four-check didn't look the same, didn't have the same success. And then we didn't see, at points we saw it this year, but this year we didn't see um, the four-check create as much opportunity as we did in the 1920 season. So here's the deal. The four-check system, both in the offensive zone and the, the neutral zone, has not changed at all. Here, here's what they run. And they've run the 1-2-2 two, two in the neutral zone with Craig Berube. They ran it with Dave Haxtall. It has not changed. They run a 1-2-2. Two, two. F1 on the neutral zone will pressure the puck carrier and try and push him into uh, the strong side. The neutral zone has not changed at all. Again, this is probably in about eight years. AV didn't change it. Scott Gordon runs it with the Phantoms, same thing. You want some congruency there. Gordon ran the same 1-2-2 in the neutral zone when he was the interim coach. Uh, as far as the forecheck in the offensive zone goes, uh, they run a 2-1-2. It's a 2-1-2 split forecheck. And the 2-1-2 split forecheck is basically on dump-ins, and they dump the puck in probably about 44% of the time um, on offensive zone rushes. So they'll carry it into the zone a little bit over 50%. They'll dump about 44%. So, and in 1920, they were great, and teams had a really hard time breaking the 2-1-2 split. And this year, that wasn't the case. And and one of the reasons why was because of details. You have to get the puck deep if you're going to run a 2-1-2 split forecheck. So you get the puck, you dump it into the corner. F1, forward one, goes and takes that guy, bangs him, forces him to make a play. The play that D wants to make is a D to D behind the net. Problem is, the other part of the two is your other F2 
takes away that pass, that D-to-D pass, that buys the first defenseman time. So that's now taken away, and it forces the, the defenseman that F1 has uh, attacked to either, if he tries that pass, it's a quick turnover and a quick strike opportunity for you, or he tries to force the puck up the wall and on the strong side, which is puck side, and that defenseman is now coming down the wall to seal the wall, and F3 is going to peel back, cover that point, and and the other defenseman is going to slightly back out of the zone in case they do beat it with a pass to be the, the last man back to prevent a breakaway or defend an odd man rush. Now, there's some risk to the 2-1-2 split, and the Flyers ran it, uh, again, two seasons ago, great. This year, you know, what, what you want to do with that 2-1-2 split, the D's aggressive on the wall. You need reloads from your forwards, and they did not do a good job of it. You need to reload in the neutral zone when you regain possession to get in on that 2-1-2 split, and they didn't do a good job of it. And that was the difference, Bobby. Let's just squeeze in a couple more uh, real quick. Let's. Uh, Bill Leonard says, Jason? Yes, that's me. Besides Allison, any other Phantoms, Cam York, on the Flyers roster next season? Is Big Sam our seventh D-man next year? Um I think Allison starts the year with the team. I think he makes the team. I think he showed enough. By the way, he beat the brakes off of somebody this weekend. Oh, my God, in that game. Two uppercuts just absolutely just buckled him. It was his first pro fight. Oh, my goodness. He is so much fun to watch. Uh, Allison will be on the team. Uh, as far as other phantoms, well, I mean, do you consider Morgan Frost a phantom? If that's the case, then I think he's the guy. I think Cam York's going to start with the phantoms next year. Uh, he's got... What, three pro games, three NHL games? He needs more. He needs more. I know he's looked good and he's really poised and all that. Great skater, uh, but he needs more time in the HL, in my opinion. Unless he comes in next year and just and he earns it. If he earns it, he earns it. That's great. Uh, so I, I don't think Cam York. As far as Big Sam Moran as a seventh D man, I don't see it. The fact that you didn't see him playing in some of those final games at the end tells you all you need to know. I think Sam's going to be playing in Europe, to be honest with you. So best of luck to him, and I, I love the guy. But I think his time here in Philadelphia has ultimately come to an end. Sandus, Minnesota, tweets in and says, should the Flyers give up on Nolan Patrick? No. He's still an asset. Um, he can still right the ship. I think the big key, Sandus, is going to be what he shows up at camp like. Remember what he missed and what he went through. And, and he had a pretty horrific season this past year. I mean, he was a minus 30. He was on top power play. I don't know why sometimes. Uh, he's got all this skill, but he needs more compete. And maybe there needs to be some sort of come-to-Jesus meeting with Nolan Patrick. Uh, he may want out of here, too. He may not like the situation. So we'll see how that plays out. All right, that's it. That's going to put a wrap on it. Everybody, thanks for listening. Coming up uh, this week, we're going to talk to Mike Yo and also uh, Michelle Terrian, Mike Terrian. And I got an interesting line of questioning to ask Michelle Terrian about. He was in Montreal as the head coach when Carey Price was 22, 23, 24, 25, and 26. Carey Price really struggled, lost the job at 22 and 23 years old to Yarrow Halak. And when he was 25, he was the MVP of the league. We know that Carter, his idol, is Carey Price, but I have it on pretty good information that Michelle Terry may have had a conversation or two with Carter Hart about what Carey Price went through. We'll hear about that when he's on an episode coming up this week. But in the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on the next episode of Flyers Daily. After all the jets, 
or in the boxes And the clouds have all gone to bed You can hear happiness staggering on down the street